0: Welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as my guest, Rose Skeeters. She's the CVO of Thrive Mind Body, an innovative mindset coaching and online counseling practice aimed at empowering motivated individuals to master every area of their life. She specializes in family and relationship counseling, helping couples, parents, and families get and stay on the same page. She's also the host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a podcast aimed at helping individuals with borderline personality disorder. Welcome, Rose. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah. So, you know, I heard about you mainly from the podcast that you do, and then it led me into learning a little bit more about the work that you do specifically at Thrive Mind Body. Could you just give me a summary of not only maybe the podcast, but also just how that then incorporates into the work that you do with your clients?
1: Oh, great. So actually, it's like the chicken and the egg phenomenon, which came first. So Thrive Mind Body actually came first. That was something that I had started to do just sort of learning about online counseling and coaching and having become licensed. And I started working with frustrated couples, resentful individuals, families, and doing sort of parent coaching and counseling. And then from that, what I realized was that my ideal client was actually any individual who fell on what I consider to be this borderline personality disorder spectrum or sort of continuum. And so I thought, my gosh, these are the people that I work with the best. These are the people that I can help the most. How do I market to these people? How do I get these people to come and find me so that I can offer them hope and support and help? and that's when a colleague of mine, I have to give her a shout out. Her name is Lisa Mustard. She's host of The Therapy Show. She said, you know what, Rose, why don't you just do it? Tell them how you recovered, put yourself out there, and then that can become sort of part of the work that you do And people will find you, and that—that that is how From Borderline and Beautiful was born.
0: Got it. What are you focused on in the podcast? And I mean, it sounds like the goal is to help people who are dealing with borderline mm-hmm. personality. Personality disorder. What is the structure and how do you decide on the topic that you want to focus on in certain episodes?
1: That is a great question. So my original focus for the podcast was to create hope for people with borderline personality disorder and to negate some of the stigma, right? So a lot of the times, it seems as if society is slow to catch up on new and current research in the fields of psychology and psychiatry, which makes sense, right? People aren't out there researching the treatments that are good for borderline personality disorder. So what I found, was that there's still so much stigma associated with it. And people were still saying that you cannot recover, that this is a chronic illness and you'll always have it. And we should just sort of over-medicate you. And that's the treatment plan that, you know, we're going to work on. And having had borderline personality disorder myself and recovered from that, I knew that that wasn't correct. And I had been following the late Dr. John Gunderson and I had been following Dr. Mary Zanarini, these prominent researchers in the field. So I knew that it wasn't something that I had been creating in my head, you know? So I was like, this information has got to be given to the general public. So the first few episodes are me describing what is borderline personality disorder. And then I go into my own story because I want to connect with listeners. I wanted to connect with my audience and let people know, Hey, I I had this too. So I'm not just another clinician talking about something I haven't lived through, which for someone with such a sensitive disorder, it is important to know that you can be validated by your provider, right? So external validation is one of the hallmark features of this diagnosis. So I started telling my story. And as I got through those first few episodes, I realized that there was actually a method to the way that I recovered. So I started rolling that out episode after episode. We won't call it a treatment because as you and I both know, a treatment is something that has empirical support research behind it. But I do call it a recovery plan and I'll be releasing a workbook for my recovery plan this winter.
0: What does that entail? Can you describe a little bit more?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So the logo from our business is a phoenix. And if you think of a phoenix, it is an animal that symbolizes this burning and kind of dying in the ashes and then becoming reborn and transformed into a new person. And that's really what I think of when I think of true recovery from BPD. You don't get to live in a BPD world or a BPD mindset and in the neurotypical world. It is very difficult to do that. So what we do, what I like to do is take the person and learn how to develop an identity, have empathy, and stop seeking external validation, learn to integrate your sense of self. And then we do that by becoming more neurotypical. Now you can't take away the hyperbolic temperament or the difficult temperament they now believe is part of the borderline personality disorder. So I'll always be hyperbolic, right? I'm talking a lot and I can sometimes speak and be very passionate, but I'm not always going to be disordered. So the goal is to create this new person who can see the neurotypical perspective and make choices that align with that perspective. So there's a step-by-step process that we go through. And the first is looking at where that person came from, what love looked like in their early childhood, what early childhood caregiver behavioral patterns they now mirror in their adult life. And then we take that information and we form what I call a moral compass. Because at the foundation of identity development are your morals and your values. And then we learn how to align all of our choices with these moral compass values. And then we start to integrate the idea of empathy. What is empathy? How can I have empathy for someone that has a neurotypical point of view? And then I'm also taking a holistic approach. So You know, it's a lot of information, but there's also this health aspect and there's also an exercise aspect because I believe that when you have a hyperbolic temperament, there are things going on internally that also contribute to emotion regulation or dysregulation. So there's often food sensitivities, a positive correlation between BPD and autoimmune disorders. So we really look at how can we move more? exercise? And then how can we eat right? And then how can we also have this spiritual connection to build a life worth living as Marsha Linnahan says? Mm -hmm.
0: One question I have too is how this is similar, but different than other more traditional treatments for borderline personality disorder.
1: Great question. So it definitely is similar to CBT, DBT, and MBT. So I'm pulling things from all of these treatments that I know to be effective as a clinician. However, what I think is different is that I'm asking people to become a different version of themselves I'm saying if you want to recover, you can do that. But recovery means being willing to lay down the BPD and to choose to follow the path to see the neurotypical perception. So that takes a lot more work on the part of the individual with BPD than can, I think, first of all, that can be done in a traditional therapeutic setting. And I think it also is, you know, it takes the health and it takes the nutrition component, which is not part of DBT, right? They're not talking about food sensitivities. They're not talking about individualized workout plans. So it, it really does incorporate some of that. And also I had the BPD brain. So if I'm administering this recovery plan, I'm doing it in such a way that I can see what the person who needs to recover, I can see the way they see the world and then help them move forward.
0: Right. And so I guess the clarification is, is the goal to become someone different or to learn how to kind of live with the brain you have in a way that is maybe more productive just in terms of interactions with other or interactions with the world?
1: You know, I think that that's semantics a little bit, right? So the goal is actually Mm -hmm. to become someone different. But if I say that, then I'm saying you know, in a nutshell, we're going to invalidate who you were because that person didn't matter. And we're just going to, that's not what I'm saying. I'm more saying that the behavioral patterns that are engaged in that become dysfunctional over a long period of time become part of who the person with BPD thinks that they are. So that becomes their identity. So in order to recover you have to create a new identity. So yes, you do have to become a new and different person in that sense. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And it also, in a sense, the other thing is people come to treatment because they want to be different, especially with, I mean, it's not that they're becoming someone they don't want to become. They come to treatment saying, you know, this is causing problems in my life and my relationships and moving forward and kind of people come to therapy asking to change.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, with this work that I'm doing, I'm acting more like a coach than I am a therapist because I want to walk side by side with the people that are coming to see me. And I want them to see that they can be who they are at the core from childhood so a passionate maybe intense you know you can be intense and and hypersensitive and not be disordered right I'm sure like we've heard, all heard the term empath hypersensitive people that need a little bit more help in the world but someone who is hypersensitive and hyperbolic doesn't have to be disruptive and hurt the people around them. They don't have to you know do some of the really negative cutting, promiscuity, risk-taking behaviors that the person with a disorder has. So I want to walk side by side with them to help them understand that they can be who they are at the core, who they were before those patterns took over, but yet they can also take who they are and continue into adulthood developing their sense of identity, stemming from these core moral values that they don't currently live by.
0: Mm. Right. So I could see how coaching fits into that because there's a lot of coaching involved in that process. Pushing,
1: right? There are things that I feel like I'm much better able to say in a coaching environment than in a therapy environment. And what I do, the work that I do is not for someone who is actively suicidal. The work that I do would have to be done after the person has been sort of stable. They're in their adult relationships. Maybe they're still cutting themselves. Maybe they're still doing risk-taking behaviors, but they are stable adults and they're ready to hear the things that they need to hear to move on. That's important. And that's where coaching comes in. So we're working on things like integrity, self-discipline, honesty, things that someone who has borderline personality disorder, moral values that they just don't have. Integrity is not something that is inherent in the BPD personality. And that needs to be learned. And it can be learned in a coaching relationship. Mm. (laughs) Right. I guess I'm curious how that can be learned. How can integrity be learned?
0: What is kind of a typical approach
1: That's incredible. So first of all, for someone who has borderline personality disorder, who doesn't have integrity, we want to look at teaching that skill as if we were teaching it to a child who had never heard that before. So what Mm. I would do is first define integrity, right? What is integrity? Integrity means doing the right thing even when no one is looking, which is a huge concept for someone with BPD who seeks external validation. We don't do things because we should do them. We do things because other people are gonna see us doing them. So first we define that. And then maybe we have like a week between sessions and I'm, we're talking about ways that they could start to develop integrity. Personal hygiene skills are something I start with for many, many people. Start with brushing your teeth. Do you brush your teeth? And maybe they'll look down. No, I don't brush my teeth. Okay, well, brushing your teeth means taking yourself seriously. And brushing your teeth alone in the morning when no one is there every day for seven days is the beginning of the development of integrity. So it starts very small and very slowly, and it builds upon it itself. We start with showering, brushing teeth, exercising, and maintaining accountability through that. And then we move on to bigger picture items.
0: Interesting. I'm trying to decide what question to ask you next, because I have so many (laughs) questions I want to cover in this short amount of time. One thing I do want to cover, I mean, you are very open about your experience. And I mean, obviously that's very helpful for the clients that you work with. What do you share with people? And how do you do that in terms of your personal history?
1: I mean, I'll share anything with people because I have a strong sense of who I am. And so I have come to a place in my own life and in my own recovery where I can share things with people without burdening them, right? So when I'm telling my story to someone, I'm telling it in a logical, matter-of-fact way that's sort of detached from the emotional experience I had at the time. So I'm going to tell a client something that I can relate to And I can say, listen, I can see that your brain might be going down this avenue because I also see the world that way, or I used to see the world that way, right? Or I do now and I have to finagle it to see the neurotypical point of view, maybe. So I can relate to you because I know what you're thinking. I know what you're going to say. I can kind of anticipate what they're going to say, given that, that space. And so that story that I have, it's just
0: validating. -hmm, Right. I know with a lot of borderline personality disorder treatments, it is a lot about clinician disclosure about themselves and about their experiences, which is different than other types of therapy.
1: One of the things I think that I can tell you that will make it all make sense, I think, to you is this. So, you know, that people with borderline personality disorder, like there's a lot of secrets in the disorder, right? There are secrets in the disorder that are so deep that unless you have the disorder, or you've heard about it. You can't jump to that, these kinds of conclusions. Like a lot of the times, people with borderline personality disorder will fake flashbacks. They'll fake panic attacks. They will be hyperventilating. And the goal of that hyperventilating is to get the attention of their partner, right? So in a traditional therapeutic setting, if someone with borderline personality disorder were to come to me and I'm a clinician, I'm acting in the role of a clinician and they say, oh, I had a panic attack and I was hyperventilating. I was freaking out. My boyfriend wouldn't look at me. He wouldn't help me. And I would say, oh, that sounds so hard. Your boyfriend wouldn't support you. Tell me about that relationship. Right? Within the context of the work that I do, I'm going to say, okay, well, let's think about this. I know, I remember when I was in treatment sometimes, or, you know, when I was in the throes of this disorder where I wanted attention, and when I wanted attention, I would do some ridiculous things, and one of the things that I would do is I would fake having a panic attack. So the person I was in a relationship with would pay attention to me and see my pain. Could that be part of what you're doing? And then they're like, oh, yes, <laughs> yes, that is what I'm doing. I am faking these flashbacks. I am doing that. Why do I do that? Oh, I can't believe you knew about that. And that exposure of the inappropriate behavior is incredibly validating and connecting for that person. And then we can talk about why do you have to do that? What else can you do? Mm -hmm. Yes, you can do other things to get your needs met.
0: But I would also assume that some people aren't there yet in terms of being able to acknowledge that, right? And might feel offended that you brought that up, but maybe coming from somebody who has had that personal experience, it's a little harder maybe to be offended by it because you're talking about your experience. Mm -hmm. Well,
1: the people that work with me, they all listen to the podcast. So I don't typically Mm -hmm. work with people who haven't listened to the podcast. That's the first thing I'll ask. And most of the time, like people are coming specifically for who I am in the podcast. And it's been about 28 episodes. So by the time they call me for an intake and they want to work with me individually, they already know that I'm going to say things like that. And the number one reason why people say that they want to work with me is for that reason, because they say that they need a kick in the butt and their Mm -hmm. therapist can't do it.
0: Right. Interesting. I'm curious, what is your favorite episode that you've done or one of your favorites?
1: All of the episodes that I've done with Jay are my favorite episodes. So my husband is also a mindset coach and a personal trainer. He does that part of our business. He's the other founder and doing the podcast episodes with him, I think are the most, they're the most fun and they're the most useful for people because they see, well, here's an individual male who is neurotypical and can support this hyperbolic and what I was once like very much in the throes of a BPD perception. And he was able to support me. He was able to help me learn things like self-discipline, integrity. And so he can talk about how he built the corrective relationship, even though at the time he didn't even know that's what he was doing. And then how other partners and family members can support their people with BPD
0: right yeah it just adds an element of complexity not only for the individual with bpd but also for people who have family members or partners with bpd and it i could see how it kind of models you know constructive interaction between yes. the partnership And the other question I have is, so this is more of a broad question, coaching versus therapy. What is the difference? If someone's trying to think, should I see a coach? Should I see a therapist? What are kind of basic things to think about?
1: Okay. So with a coach, we're walking side by side towards a goal. So I will help someone in a coaching relationship, create a goal, and then we're going to do it together. I'm going to disclose more than a traditional therapy relationship, and I'm not going to be focused on the past. We're going to focus on the future and how to move forward in a therapeutic relationship. We are going to dig deep into the past. We're going to even focus and stay in the past and try to unpack trauma, unpack those heavy emotional burdens and sort of stay there and do hopefully, you know, therapy would be doing empirically supported treatments with an individual so that they can have a goal to get better.
0: Mm -hmm. Got it. There's a bit of overlap though, between the two. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am a
1: licensed therapist, right. But i I'm a coach when it comes to borderline personality disorder, like exclusively I'm doing coaching. And I think what that looks like is I have a practice that cares for people that come to see me like a therapist office would. I have a secure electronic healthcare platform that we operate through and everything that I do is with that that therapist brain. So we're going to have limits and boundaries and we're going to have policies and procedures. And I'm going to be thinking in that way and operating in that way. But like we talked about, we're not going to be, I'm not going to be working with someone who's suicidal, who has trauma that needs to be unpacked, more therapeutic relationship. We're going to be working with people who are stable and want to be future focused and to move forward and to create goals and achieve
0: those. Mm Do some of your clients not have a therapist and a coach? And so there's a team approach or do you tend to be kind of the primary provider?
1: The way that I'll say it to my folks, the people that come and see me is that I don't coddle. You're going to need that sometimes. Sometimes people need that. They want the therapy relationship. It's softer. It's more coddling, right? Like we, I just gave an example where I'm calling someone out on faking a panic attack to help them grow and how to get their needs met. So I'm doing that kind of work. So there's, it's very difficult for me to also be like, oh, it's okay that you felt so intense that you needed to have a panic attack and validate that. So having a therapist can offset the harshness and also help the person feel supported even in doing DBT because mm-hmm. DBT is a treatment, in my opinion, my opinion is a treatment of coping skills. So they can still use those great coping skills while also learning to become a new version of themselves in my coaching program.
0: Ah, Interesting. Okay. Well, I'm also realizing we jumped into talking about BPD and DBT and CBT and all those things. And I'm wondering if people who are listening to this, maybe they're drawn to this idea about the title of your podcast, right? From borderline to beautiful, or maybe they have someone that they love or a partner that they're concerned about the possibility of borderline personality disorder. I guess one question I have is the title. What are you hoping to convey in that title of your podcast?
1: Is that you can have borderline personality disorder and you can recover. And that recovery is going to be messy, but it turns out beautiful.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Simple. Simple.
1: Just simple. From borderline to beautiful yeah.
0: I- Right. So do you think most of the people who listen to your podcast have borderline personality disorder and it's kind of a way to start thinking about a way out? Or I mean, wh- I'm just curious what kind of feedback you've had on people who have found it helpful.
1: Yep. Well, I say a lot of the times people will call and say, I'm your biggest fan. I can't believe I'm talking to you right now. So cute. So they say like that they feel heard and that there's somebody else out there who went through what they went through. And I think also the fact that I'm a clinician is helpful as well, because, you know, not everyone but many, many people have been treated poorly in the mental health system with that diagnosis. So I think they like the fact that I'm not only am I clinician, but I'm speaking their language. But even as I talk to you, I'm noticing, oh my gosh, I'm talking to to people all day long that have BPD, and now I'm talking to somebody who's neurotypical, and I have to reverse the way I'm explaining it. So they like the fact that I can speak. To them in a clinical way, but in the language that makes the most sense to them. And it makes them feel less alone and it gives them hope. And maybe some people will say that they've always believed that they could recover, but they didn't know how.
0: Right. I wonder also because sometimes the diagnosis of BPD is tricky. A lot of mental health providers kind of shy away from actually giving the diagnosis, right? And I'm wondering, do you have a proportion of people who are curious about the diagnosis and after listening to the podcast and getting to know how you work, they really do feel like that is an accurate diagnosis for them?
1: Oh, absolutely. So I don't diagnose people because if somebody listens to my podcast and they say, oh, that resonates with me, well, the work that I'm doing that I told you about building a moral compass, making choices that align with a moral compass, eating healthy, exercising, being nice, nice to people, having empathy, learning how to do that. Those things anyone can benefit from BPD or not, you know, it's just good person stuff that maybe you missed along the way or just hadn't absorbed or learned. So people that come to me, I'm not diagnosing. However, yes, sadly enough, many, many individuals will say things like my therapist says, I don't have this. My psychiatrist refuses to diagnose me with BPD and has me listed as bipolar disorder. And to me, you know, personally speaking, it is really sad. I want to say heartbreaking, that's a hyperbole, but it is sad to hear that because they're on multiple medications for a disorder that has no medication that can specifically treat it and they're confused and they're sad. And honestly, the access to the gold standard DBT treatment is just oftentimes unaffordable. There are waiting lists. There's a supply and demand issue out there right now. So there's a lot of that concern that that comes through. And the stories that I've heard of what some clinicians have said and did, it's, it's astounding, it's sad.
0: Why do you think it's such a tricky diagnosis to be given?
1: Gosh, Josephine, we are intense. I mean, because honestly, you know, that's the BPD person. And and I will say that to some of the folks that come in with that complaint. And I say, look, you know, if you can get your mother to walk on eggshells, you're going to be able to get your clinician to walk on eggshells too. We have to understand, I think, Mm -hmm. as a mental health community and also as a community of individuals, who have hyperbolic temperament, who don't have a neurotypical point of view, we have to realize that our behaviors as a collective whole, what we put out there is what we're going to get back. And sometimes some of the things, I mean, that people do, I've done some things to clinicians when I was a kid, when I was young, some things like just not showing up or, blaming the clinician for my own lack of interest in what the clinician is saying or calling the names to the clinician. I had a client one time slam my wooden door at community mental health many, many times, throw things at my face. I mean, gosh, that's why, because there are a lot of people still engaging in those behaviors, but I think that their hope still has to remain Regardless of all of that. And so, for mm. clinicians who that's their experience, if they become hopeless and they believe that there is no other way, there's nothing under that rage, then that creates this stigma and this dynamic of, well, no, you don't have BPD. You can't because those people are really crazy folks. Those people are really mm. intense, kind of thing.
0: Right. And I think it's also important for the listener to think about that borderline personality disorder is to cluster of different symptoms, then so one person with borderline personality disorder may look very different from the next person with borderline personality disorder.
1: Yes, yeah. well said that you're exactly right. Some people do internalize and they're not going to have those rage episodes, but they still get that stigma associated with them. You're right.
0: Right. One other question I have before we finish up, I'm assuming you also have people who listen to your podcast who are not borderline themselves, but know people who are, and they want to get them help. And they are trying to listen to figure out a way to kind of make that entry into kind of figuring out a way to intervene somehow and start having them thinking about treatment that might be helpful for them. I guess I'm just wondering any words of wisdom or anything that you kind of, I'm sure you're approached by people who are trying to get other people help and they just don't know what to do.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, First thing I will always say is that you can't help someone who doesn't want to help themselves. So I've had people who want to purchase sessions or give sessions away to someone who has you know, maybe BPD or the constellation of behaviors. And I... I won't do that because the person who has the diagnosis really needs to buy into number one, what I'm saying specifically or any other Mm -hmm. clinician, and then they need to have some sort of leverage, something that they're doing to, take steps in the direction of recovery, that's really important that you can't, no matter how much you want to heal the BPD pain as an outsider, you can't do that. What you can do as a family member or a partner is you can really educate yourself on current research, can look into what does it mean for this loved one to have a hyperbolic temperament and how can that shape their perception of the world and how does their perception differ from mine? Because if you can see that differing perception, then you can meet the person where they are more readily versus butting heads. You can meet them where they are and both people can learn from each other.
0: Got it. Yeah. Do you ever do sessions with family members just to kind of coach them on how to react or respond to people?
1: Often, just mm-hmm. to help them see, you know, mm-hmm. especially parents, you know, there was a time where they believe that parents or early childhood caregivers were the cause of borderline personality disorder. And we know that that's not true now. And so I have parents come and they go, what did I do wrong? And it's important. You know, I love this part of my job because I get to explain you didn't do anything wrong that if you had three different children, Two of them could be normal, neurotypical, and one of them could have this hyperbolic temperament. And because they have a hyperbolic temperament, their threshold of perceived trauma is much lower. And so they could attribute a fight that the mom and dad had when they were a child. They could put that in a category of traumatic, where the other two children were just like, oh, they're just yelling in the kitchen and not remember that. So we talk about how that develops, and it really lifts this burden, off of the caregivers oftentimes so allow them to see well I didn't do anything wrong I can help this person I can at least see where they're coming from see their perception and stop fighting against that and let go of some of that resentment that I have
0: yeah I think that's actually a good place to end (laughs) I feel like it kind of helps wrap it up So I'm going to make sure I have your information on the episode description, along with just information about your practice. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that the listener kind of hears during this time we have together?
1: Nope, just I'm gonna have a workbook coming out so if you're interested in some of the things I'm saying definitely check out the podcast from borderline to beautiful if you are a partner looking for support and you want to speak to someone you know like Jay who's a mindset coach go ahead onto the website and contact us there and yeah I'll be running a group that goes along with the workbook when the workbook is released this winter
0: oh great I was gonna ask about groups. Good. Okay. I'm glad to know about that. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on and best of luck with everything and beyond. Thank you. Take care. Bye. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and offices in downtown LA, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina del Rey, Echo Park, and Santa Barbara, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe.